the thing that is hardest for parents to hear is that the main reason we see a behavior in our child is because it's a direct reflection of our parenting, which doesn't mean you're a bad parent. It doesn't mean you're doing everything wrong. It just means we haven't yet taken time to learn the skills, how to avoid those unwanted behaviors with our parenting. So as soon as you learn how to check off your child's roadmap and meet their needs in advance and proactively parent without being reactive and discipline and not punish, all of a sudden, like, the clouds like open, the sun comes through, and everything gets easier because you actually understand the meaning behind your child's behavior. Welcome to Raising Greatness, where we ask the questions every parent wants to know. I'm Ryan Adams, and in today's episode, we have Tia Slightham, author, coach, teacher, business owner, and most importantly, mom. Tia has a master's degree in early childhood education and has dedicated over 18 years to help solve all of your parenting struggles. Join us as we learn how to stop yelling, the difference between discipline and punishment, how to set boundaries, and when to say nothing instead of something. Tia, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, today, we've got Tia Slightham on. And uh, Tia, you've been a, a parenting coach for, what is it, 18 years now? You've been helping uh, parents to stop feeling like they're failing? Yeah, working with kids and families for over 18 years, which I feel like ages me every single time that I say that. Um, but it's allowed me to work with so many families from around the world to really help them decrease that stress and anxiety and worry that we feel because we all just want to do a really great job when we raise our kids. And sometimes we don't know how to exactly go about that. Not just sometimes. It seems like almost all the time. Um, <laughs> as a new father myself, it seems like you're very reactionary. And I know that that's a, a key theme in a lot of your coaching is to be a little bit more proactive and a little bit more um, purposeful with, with what you're doing. So I'm kind of curious, in those 18 years, because you also have an academic background as well, have you seen any of the kind of coaching or, or parenting techniques or tips and tricks? Have they changed? And if so, what have you seen that's kind of changed from maybe more helicopter parenting to now a little bit more letting them create some grit and like, you know, scrape their knees? like kind of curious uh, from your perspective on any changes. Yeah, it, there's been a number of changes and things have really sort of ebbed and flowed and adjusted over time. I mean, even back into my teaching days as a kindergarten teacher, I do have my master's in early childhood and I caught, taught kindergarten in the States for a number of years before becoming a parenting coach and a mom myself. And even back then, which isn't that long ago, teachers would close the door and scream at their classroom and yell at the students. And I... I always like cringed at that because I, I knew that that was not something that I was going to do or that was going to be effective even back at the beginning of my career. Um, and still fast forward 18 years later, a lot of parents still yell and they are reactionary and it's not because they want to be, but for a lot of reasons that really stem from the way we were raised, um, the fact that parenting is not intuitive, it's really a learned skill. And so even though things have progressed and changed over time, if we don't stop and take time to learn the skills, we're still actually cycling in those same unwanted cycles. It's actually been one of the um, happy surprises of being a father is how self-aware I've become over the last, uh, well, even when my, my partner got pregnant, you start realizing that the programming that you had as a child um, is really that same programming that you carry with you as an adult. And then it kind of makes you kind of take a step back and be like, whoa, so if I'm a direct product of my own childhood, um, what am I going to be passing on to my own child? So it, uh, yeah, I mean, becoming a, a little bit more pressure. aware is huge. 
Oh, very it's much a so. Lot of pressure. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure because we are so emotionally tied to our kids. We want to do the best that we can possibly do. We want to raise independent, responsible human beings who do something great in this world. And it starts when you have your infant. You've got to teach them how to sleep. And then you've got to teach them how to go potty. And you've got to teach them how to try new foods and how to walk and how to talk and how to be friendly and not hit and do well in school. And like, oh my gosh, all of these things are on our shoulders as parents. But yet we don't come to parenting with a manual. So then we get reactionary because we're so emotionally tight and we want to do the right thing and it's not working. And then we kind of cycle in that. And so it's it's not without trying that parents are trying to do the right thing it's that we don't have that manual and that's really what i love about what i get to do so in those moments of um frustration or in those moments of being a little bit out of your mind as a parent is there maybe one um grounding exercise or one one mantra or one tip that you could share just to help kind of bring a parent back to you know not get to the stage of yelling and not kind of uh, lose themselves a little bit yeah, we focus inside my program for a lot of time. We spend a lot of time on how to stop yelling because we grew up a lot of times with parents that are yelling. And so we have that ingrained in us, whether we want to repeat that or not. So a lot of times what I like to explain to parents is that there's no quick fix. There's no band-aid solution. But when we have all the pieces of the puzzle and we put it together, that's where the magic happens. So when we're looking at sort of quick tips and tricks, things that we can actually implement and still see a positive result without having all the pieces so that you don't fall backwards. Um, when it comes to yelling and, and getting into that reactionary state, I really encourage parents to say nothing instead of something. A lot of times we feel like we have to solve it in the moment. My child just did X, my child is doing Y. I need to teach that lesson right now. We've got to deal with this. This is unacceptable or this cannot happen again. And we feel like we need to deal with it right at that moment. What happens? We react, we yell, we get angry, we time out, we take things away. And what we've done is we've actually left entirely the issue that was at hand. The thing that we didn't want our child to do, we've left that in the dust and our reaction to that behavior has now become the focal point. Our focal point, so we don't solve anything. We think we're solving it in the moment, but we're actually making things worse. So saying nothing instead of something so that you can take a breath, you can walk away, and you can think about it. I say, say to your kids, I'm feeling really frustrated about what's happening right now. I need a minute and I will be back and we can talk about it. That will go so much farther than yelling, screaming, losing your mind. It's, it's fantastic. I, I think it goes back to um, you talking about kind of the surface level problems or the symptoms as opposed to addressing the problem. Now, how do we then look at what the problem may be? Um, so that's that's a great way to kind of uh, check our reaction to it. And I'm sure for those parents that maybe have gone down the yelling route, if all of a sudden they kind of flip and change by by saying that idea a little bit of time, that that's probably shocking enough for kids that that yeah. might get a little bit of a reaction. 100%. But um, how do we then address a problem that might be coming um, that that's, you know, I guess the cause of the, of the symptom. Yeah, so that's the biggest thing that I help parents achieve. The biggest reason why parents are stuck is because we Google and we read books and we listen to podcasts and we do all these things and we're trying to gather information, which is fantastic, but we can't get to the root with all these tips and tricks. We actually will not solve our problems if we don't know what's causing it, where it's coming from, why it's happening. We can't throw a bunch of how-to tools on top if we don't know. So just to make it super clear what a symptom is and what a root cause is. 
when we're looking at symptoms and surface problem solving and, and really where most parents stay stuck, we want to look at potty training, refusal to eat, picky eaters, back talking, sassiness, won't do their homework, won't make their bed, won't brush their teeth, won't stay in bed, anything you can think of. All of the, the what you feel the problems are, are actually just the symptoms. They're not actually the problems. They're the symptoms. So if we think about it, when you have a headache, your symptom to the headache is the pain that you feel. You want to get rid of that pain. So we pop a cup of Advil or we pop a cup of Tylenol to get rid of it. But why did we have the headache in the first place? Where did that come from? Were we dehydrated? Were we overtired? Were we stressed? Did we not eat properly? Um, or do we have a food allergy? Like we need to actually root problem solve, not just band-aid surface problem solve with medication. Same thing with parenting. When we look at those issues, those pain points, that's the symptom we're feeling. We're feeling like we don't like it. We want it to stop. It's driving us crazy. But in order to get it to stop, we need to know why it happened, where it came from, and what's the cause. So when we root problem solve, the thing that is hardest for parents to hear is that the main reason we see a behavior in our child is because it's a direct reflection of our parenting, which doesn't mean you're a bad parent. It doesn't mean you're doing everything wrong. It just means we haven't yet taken time to learn the skills, how to avoid those unwanted behaviors with our parenting. So as soon as you learn, um, and you can ask me lots of questions as we go through this, but as soon as you learn how to check off your child's roadmap and meet their needs in advance and proactively parent without being reactive and discipline and not punish, all of a sudden, like, the clouds like open, the sun comes through, and everything gets easier because you actually understand the meaning behind your child's behavior. You said something pretty pretty interesting, proactive parenting. Can, can you describe that a little bit more and, and touch on what, what that actually entails and what does that mean? Yeah. So most of the time, and I bet if the listeners are listening, they're going to be like, oh yeah, that's me. We cross our fingers and our legs and our toes and everything. And we just say, we're walking on eggshells and we just say, I really hope my child behaves in the grocery store. I really hope my child just sleeps tonight and I don't have to spend three hours. I really, really hope that they don't lose their mind and hit somebody at the park today. We're walking on eggshells hoping because we are not proactively creating what we want to create. So you can actually, and I think about it like a piece of, I always say key lime pie, that's my favorite pie, but you actually want to think about it that 95% of that pie it's proactive parenting, meaning we are going to set the stage for what we want our day to look like with our kids, the expectations we have, how we want our child to, to go through the day, what our relationship is. Every single thing can be proactively focused on so that in that 5% that's left, you now have the skills to be responsive. So we're not going to be reactive 5% of the time. We're going to be responsive. So instead of waiting for fires to happen, and then trying to squash it and put it out so you can move on and get rid of the noise and the pain, we actually avoid the fires altogether by proactively really working through your child's needs emotionally, physically, and most importantly, through your parenting to help you sort of wash your hands of that punishment style parenting and move into discipline. 
so, so you, you talked about proactive parenting and um so while my partner was was pregnant we watched king richard um the movie with will smith and um you know so you've got you've got yeah venus and serena william's father and then you kind of i'm a big golf fan as well so you see what kind of earl woods did as well and so you see a lot of parents are being proactive with how their child's life is going to be before they're even born so what we're talking about right now is a lot of proactive in the moment when it comes to the emotional stage and when the child is already in this world what are your thoughts when it comes to you know being proactive before the child's even born and then and how much in your experience is their natural personalities or natural inclinations going to take over as opposed to creating that structure and discipline from a parent's side to really help guide and push them into a certain direction? Yeah. So I always say, you know, even for my own two boys, same recipe, two different cookies. It just mm-hmm. happens. Your kids are <laughs> not going to always be the same. And that's what makes the world so great. So, you know, for lack of a better terminology, some kids are easier to train than others. So they, they push the limits a little bit more. They, they want to test you a little bit more. That's all okay. It's how we handle those situations that allow our kids to really thrive um, instead of just survive. And so what we want to think about is the sooner that you're working on your parenting, even when you're pregnant, like I did, really paying attention from the get-go, the, the better off you're going to be. So sometimes parents will say, well, what if I have a six-year-old or eight-year-old or a teenager? Is it too late? It's never too late. Everything's fixable. It's, it's too late if you continue to struggle. But what we want to do is think about what are the things we want to avoid? How do we want our days to look? How do we want our, our relationship to be with our kids? Do toddlers have to have tantrums left, right, and center? Absolutely not. Do a lot of tantrums have this? Yes. And that's because as parents, we don't know how to understand what they, what they need. We don't, they, they don't feel seen. They don't feel, feel heard. They don't feel understood. And so we are stuck kind of scrambling and treading water and our kids are feeling the same way nobody's really in the driver's seat for lack of a better term so so speaking of a better term uh you've coined golden time um as a great way to um just i guess be proactive and be intentional and be present with the child can you talk about a little bit about uh, the idea of golden time and how that might solve some of these issues yeah so we want to parent smarter not harder it's already a big job we don't have a lot of extra time on our hands so many times parents will say, my, never, it's never enough. I give my kids so much attention. It's never enough attention. No matter how much I spend with them, they're mad when it's over. It, I, I just can't win. That's because what we need to do is we need to include some really important ingredients. So when we look at attention, we kind of look at it like there's a spectrum. We're on one side and our kids are on the other. On one side of the spectrum, we have our perspective, which is All day long, we spend time with our kids. We do everything for our kids. We work to provide for our kids. We plan birthday parties. We feed them. We change them. We bathe them. We play with them. We read to them. We drive them to play dates. Oh my gosh. If I did anything else for my kids, I wouldn't even have time to use the washroom because I'm so busy with my kids. So this is what happens with our perspective. We are so busy with our kids. We feel like we're giving them loads and loads and loads of attention. But from our child's perspective on their side of the spectrum, they say, "Mm, not really. You had me, that's your job, mom, that's your job, dad. Those are your descriptions, that those are, that's what you signed up for. Where is my attention? Where is my time? Whether you have a single, you know, an only child or multiple children, they're all wondering, where is my time? So golden time is a five ingredient formula. It's super simple, it takes 10 minutes and it allows you to meet your kids in the middle on that spectrum with, spectrum with their perspective. So we're not going to get our kids to think how we think, and we're not going to think how our kids think. Like we're two different ages. We're at different stages of our life. We need to meet them in the middle. 
And the way that we do that is we really, and there's a free guide and I'm happy to share the link if your listeners want to download the free guide. Um, but the five ingredients are one-on-one, twice a day, doing something your kids love, child's choice, unplugging, put your phones away, really connect with your kids and give it a name. And the reason you need to give it a name is because I know all of the listeners are spending time with their kids. You're spending lots of time with your kids, but they don't always know it. But when you introduce something like golden time and you say, hey, I really want to spend more time with you. I'm busy. You're busy. Like, let's do something every day that you love to do, just you and me, so that we can really, you know, hang together. They're like, oh, wow, this is cool. They're initiating spending time with me. It's all about me. This is awesome. And now when you have that labeled term, whether you call it golden time, which my son, when he was four, labeled it. You can name it anything you want, special time, one-on-one time. I've had clients name it unicorn time and princess time and superhero time, whatever. It needs a name because now they know what golden time is. And so when you're in the car alone with them and you're driving to the grocery store because you need to go to the grocery store, you can say, hey, this is cool. We're all by ourselves having extra golden time. What should we talk about? What do you want to do? And they're like, oh, sweet. This is cool. But you didn't do any extra work. So all the extra work that we're doing at parents, as parents, we need more bang for our buck. Using something like Golden Time is going to help fill up their attention bucket, meet their emotional needs, help you parent smarter, not harder, and actually decrease those unwanted behaviors. Because if we don't fill up that attention bucket proactively, our kids are going to work hard to fill it up. And that's where you're fighting those unwanted behaviors. Them acting out in, in more... Uh less productive ways to try and get your attention. Was there a sweet spot for time wise for uh, this, this golden time? Yeah. So I recommend 10 minutes. If you have a weekend and you can go to the park and spend an hour, great. Let them know you're having a longer golden time because you have that time. Um, so a lot of kids will want to bake and they'll want to do some things that they can't do obviously before school. I recommend using even a, a golden time checklist where you can write activities down with them, things they love to do, separate it into a weekend list and a weekday list. Set your boundaries, set your expectations so your kids know in advance what they can choose from, where they can choose from. Um, I really recommend this timer. I have a link for this on my Instagram. I can also share my resource link with you. Uh, this timer is incredible because it has this special yellow dial, which gives a warning time. Kids who do not want to finish things up, transition from TV, transition from golden time, you can set it for 10 minutes. Then you can set your warning time for five minutes. And when there's five minutes left, it's going to go from green. It's going to beep and turn yellow. And your kids are going to start to understand, okay, my time is coming up. I need to start grasping that concept. So we don't just say, oh, golden time's over, time's up. That's going to frustrate your kids. You're going to have more pushback. There's all these little tips and tricks that we do with the whole picture to help put that all together for you. What a fantastic gadget. And, and listeners, um, all of the um, the information that Tia is talking about will be in the in the show description. But uh, I could see how that would uh, correlate to even as they become adults, getting into deep work and actually, you know, block time blocking because you're clearly knowing that there's a time and then you're just naturally going to be more efficient in that time. And if you're being trained from a very, very young age, uh, very efficient use of time. That's fantastic. And it, and that's the, that's exactly what we need to do as parents. We need to know that our kids are sponges. We are their greatest role model. Whether you are acting in a positive or negative way, speaking in a positive or negative way, your kids are saying, that's probably how I should be acting. That's how the people I love most act. That's how I should act. So what we need to do is we need to role model 
from an early age how we want them to go through life, what's going to be helpful for them, what's going to help them become their best version of themselves. And we do that through our parenting, through what they watch. So when we think about how are our kids going to parent one day? Well, we were parented the way we were parented. So we're trying to break some habits here. That's what most of us are trying to do. And what we want to do is get to a place where we just start off on the right track and break those generational cycles so our kids know how to parent because they were parented that way. They, they live and breathe and eat that because that's the way they were raised. I think that's one of the things that terrifies most young parents, myself included, is just how much of a sponge your, your children actually are and just how, um, again, self-aware you need to be to not be passing on those, uh, you know, the, the parts of yourself that you don't want to pass on. So it's a, yeah, it's a 24 seven. Uh, that seems to be the, the key. Um, what's the number one thing that people come to you for, um, for, for parents? Like, is there kind of a, um, is, is there a, a rank in issues that parents are having while they're seeking outside help? Uh, is there a very common type problems? Yeah. So I would say generally the biggest issues, which obvious, obviously stem from other things happening, are kids not listening and parents having to finally yell and then feeling terrible after, full of guilt, full of shame, going to bed at night, wishing that they hadn't yelled, hoping that the next day is going to be better, but they don't really know what to do differently to make it better. And that's where we look at those core root issues. So why are our kids not listening? What's causing them not to listen? Why are our kids not sleeping? How can we help them sleep? Like if we don't start working towards these things, we're obviously going to keep yelling and our kids are obviously going to keep you know, not listening to us. And then the cycle continues. But yelling and listening are sort of the big final things where parents just want to stop feeling so badly about who they are and who they are as a parent and the relationship that they're building and seeing their kids start to finally push away from them or starting to yell in return and realizing like, okay, things are out of hand. We need to, we need to get a handle on this. That makes sense. Um, what are your ideas then on, on uh, punishing and creating boundaries for your children? Yeah. Boundaries are a must, a must, a must, a must. So we think of it a lot of times we'll, you know, parents without the knowledge and the information will think that, well, that just means I need to be strict and I need to have rules and I need to just kind of drill sergeant my child. That's not what we're looking at here. We're looking at a set of boundaries and expectations that teach and train and guide our kids to be the best they can be. So what happens? Our kids are born with two predetermined jobs. All kids are born. So even your little tiny Chase, who's three months old, is born with two predetermined jobs. One is to please you, which is fantastic. But the second job is to push boundaries until boundaries are found. So if our kid's job is to push the boundaries until they're found, but we don't know how to set the boundaries, or we go into the gray zone, which means sometimes you give in, sometimes you're patient, sometimes you yell, sometimes you give two cookies because they're tantruming, sometimes you go in and read one more story, sometimes you lay with them, sometimes you don't. Holy moly, the person who's born needing to push boundaries until boundaries are found doesn't know what the heck's going on. They're confused. That causes more pushback. That causes anxiety. And that causes you to be more frustrated. So if we can learn as parents how to set what I call three C's boundaries, concrete, clear, and consistent, always with mutual respect. But if we can set these boundaries for our kids, the beauty is they learn how to follow your expectations so you're happy, but in turn, that actually pleases you. So both their jobs can be completed. We want to be able to set three C's boundaries from morning to night to build that independence and responsibility and to avoid that pushback. 
Do you see um, a difference uh, in your experience with raising boys versus girls when it comes to setting the boundaries, when it comes to punishing and everything that you're, you're talking about here? Um, is, is there a discernible difference or is it pretty consistent up until a, a certain age? Yeah, here's the thing. It doesn't matter if you have a two-year-old, an 18-year-old, a 10-year-old, a, a female, a male. We're all, all our kids need these foundational tools as parents. So whether your child pushes back a little bit more like my second one did, um, if they, if they, you know, want to test the boundaries a little bit more, whether they're, you know, male or female, I don't think that that really plays a role. I think it's how we bond and connect and how we avoid as parents creating those labels. Well, I have a teenager, so life's going to suck. Oh, I have a toddler, terrible twos, three teenagers. Here we go. This is what life with a toddler is like. We create these labels, which our kids then have to live up to. We actually tell them, this is what I think about you. This is where you need to, to be. So let's continue that. That makes our life harder. So we don't. We want to get rid of the paradigms. We want to get rid of those negative thoughts and labels. And we want to say that we actually can have whatever kind of relationship we want with our kids if we're willing to put in the work and the effort to learn the skills to do that. Yeah, beautiful. So switching gears here and focusing now on, on how we want to reinforce positive behavior and maybe guide them in a, um, a way that we think is proactive for them. What's your idea on encouragement and praise and, and how to get the most out of your children in when, when they're doing something good? Yeah. So we want to avoid praise and we said want to use encouragement. So what happens is, is if we are praising our kids, we're basically using things that naturally come out of all of our mouths. And I am guilty of it too. It's, it's not an easy one to sort of avoid is good job. That's beautiful. Amazing. Wow. Good boy. Good girl. Or are you a big girl? Are you a big boy? Because what happens is that praise tells them when I do it exactly that way and I have this outcome, this outcome is what makes mommy or daddy happy. Now, next time they have an accident in their bed, they, they wake up in the middle of the night and they don't sleep all the way through. They don't get an A, they get a B. They, they forget their, you know, to pack their bag for, you know, their gym uniform for school. And you don't say good boy or good job or that's amazing. They automatically feel like they've failed. So we don't build resiliency when we praise. We actually set them up for failure. So to set our kids up for success, we want to encourage. We want to encourage the process not the outcome. So the process is how hard did you work to, to make that happen? How does that feel? You know, what, what do you feel like when you have that, that outcome after you spent all that time studying? How do you feel when you sit on the potty and your potty goes in the potty instead of in your, in your pull-up? So we really want to work on focusing on the process because that's what's going to encourage our kids to try again, to get up when they make a mistake. Mistakes are going to be our children's biggest moments of growth. And if we sort of use praise, we almost set them up to miss out on that opportunity to build that resiliency and, and build those life skills. And that resili resiliency that you talk about seems to be one of the number one um, indicators of success later in life is that grit, that perseverance. And and the one thing that most people can control is their effort level and the actual process of um, you know working hard. Oftentimes the outcome is out of our control. So I think it makes a lot of sense to what you're saying where you're focusing on what they can control, which is the process that they're using, and then it kind of separating the outcome from the praise. Um, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and that kind of leads into where we choose between using discipline or punishment. So we either praise or encourage or we discipline versus punishment. And a lot of times parents inter will use those terms interchangeably. I, I really discipline my kids, but yet they put them in timeout. 
or I, I, I always discipline my kids when they do something wrong and I spank them or I yell at them or I take things away or I ground them. What happens is we're not disciplining in those moments. We're actually punishing. And so when we look at just the simple definitions of each of those terms, punishment, the definition is anything that causes your child blame, shame, or pain. Anything that causes your child blame, shame, or pain. Think timeouts, empty threats. If you don't do this, I'm taking you. The, I'm taking this away. You're not going to get this. Bribery, reward charts, which might shock a lot of parents. Um, yelling, you know, really shaming them, making them feel badly when they spill the milk, making them feel badly about um, not getting a perfect score on their test. So anything that causes blame, shame, or pain. When we look at the definition of discipline, it's simply to teach and train, which when I say those two, I know what I want to do. I just want to teach and train. So our job as parents is to teach and train our kids all of these things. They are new to this world. They don't know how to share. They don't know how to use conflict resolution. They don't know how to sit at the table and have table manners. Every single thing needs to be taught and trained. And that's what we do when we discipline. So when something bad happens, like your child's fooling around at the table and they spill the milk, we need to say, okay, big picture here. My child's fooling around at the table. I need to teach concrete, clear, consistent boundaries around mealtimes because I can't just yell at my child because I haven't done my part. If your child knows your boundaries and they have an accidental spill, but then we say, every time, there's always a mess. Why do you have to do this? Well, what we've taught them is accidental spills are terrible. You're a bad person. I'm not happy with you. What we want to teach is when there's an accidental spill, would you like my help getting and getting a rag and together we'll clean it up? Or would you like to clean it up on your own? The idea is when you spill, you tidy up. If your child's fooling around at the table, not your child's fault. That's our fault. We've got to step back and teach those boundaries and discipline in that area. So what would you say to those parents that are like, okay, you know what, Tia, I, I've got the three C boundaries. Um, I feel like I've, 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 I did my part and my child is still doing something what I perceive is wrong. Like, like maybe they're pushing their boundaries a little bit more and I might need to discipline or, or punish. Like, like, is there ever um, an opportunity for, for a punishment? So there's never an opportunity for a punishment, but there's always an opportunity for discipline. So, so what that looks like is kind of a three part. I always say to parents, we need to set the stage. So in setting the stage, we need to know what are the boundaries that we want our child to be doing. Is it sitting at the table? And, and you know, when you get up from the table, you're telling me that you're all done. Is it throwing your food means that you're all done? Is it me? You know, what are your boundaries? What do you want your kids to do at the table? You can't expect your kids to know what's in your brain because it makes logical sense to us. It makes logical sense to us to sit and eat and put our dishes in the dishwasher and move on because that's what we've been doing. Our kids need to know that that what our boundaries are. So take them out of your head and put them on the table. So what that looks like is determining what your boundaries are. What do you want your kids to achieve in an age-appropriate way? That's step one. Step two is teaching, training, and practicing. So that might look like a simple mealtime chart that shows your kids when they have meals and snacks. It might be a mealtime chart around our family bound mealtime guidelines. You know, our tushy stays on the cushy. We say, may I please be excused? If you get up from the, t- when you get up from the table, you're telling me you're all done. So this is going to be some boundaries that you need to teach, train, and practice. Maybe with a chart, maybe with a graphic, role modeling, you sitting down and saying, okay, I'm going to go through the guidelines. If I start to throw my food around, what's that telling you? Okay, you tell, have your kids tell you what's going to happen. Really going through it, 
role modeling, reading children's books. I have an amazing resource on the link that I will share with, you know, resources around meal times, potty training, bedtime, read children's books to help you teach, train, and practice. Um, so we set the stage. We teach, train, and practice so our kids know our expectations. Once you know that they know, because you've practiced, because you've spent the time, because you've sh they've shown you that they can do it in your role modeling, in your trial runs, now you know, okay, my kid's on board. They understand what's expected. We've gone through it. Don't expect your kids to know without that. Then step three is we need to follow through. So when your child knows, because you've gone through it, you have the insurance to then follow through. If you don't teach and train and you just say, do this, do this, do this, do this, well, that's not teaching and training your kids what's expected. Now you're gonna be stuck irritated. So when we follow through, we might have to use a consequence. And that consequence might be when you get up from the table, you're telling me you're all done, so our food goes in the garbage until the next time food's available on our snack and mealtime chart. So then we're gonna follow through. But you gave your child an opportunity to make a choice a, that works for them, great, or B, that doesn't, but they got to make that choice. You didn't just say, I've asked you nine times to sit down, that's it, it's done. Well, whoa, okay, so I guess that's my boundary. I should push and push until I get nine warnings, and then I know I'm not going to get to eat. That's not fair, right? Does that kind of make sense when we describe it that way? It completely does, and I'm smiling here because I can see that as a uh being a very common way. Um, I, I had a dog before um, having a child and it it's I'm laughing at myself because oftentimes when the puppy is doing something wrong, I react exactly the way that you're talking about. And I know it's not the right way of doing it. And I think, you know, training a dog is in many respects, very similar to training a child, boundaries and, and consequences. But uh, it, it's kind of funny. What advice would you give then to that parent that sent their child uh, to bed uh, hungry as they're trying to process the idea that they're not doing a good job, their child's hungry. Like, like, how do you how do you teach a parent to have the conviction to see the consequence through? Honestly, when you have all the pieces of the puzzle, so parents who go through my coaching program and we spend twelve weeks piecing that puzzle together for you, you you get rid of that guilt because you know what your child needs. Your child needs to know what your boundary is so they can stop pushing. Your child needs to know that when they make choices in life. They're either good choices or bad choices for them, not for you. They need to build that resiliency. They need to know that when they go out in the world, that they can manage these things, have self-management skills and learn to really, you know, have the responsibility and the focus. We're doing our kids a massive favor when we set it up in a positive and effective way. If we have bits and pieces and we just say, okay, I'm going to put a chart up and then I'm going to tell them that they need to eat or it's garbage. And then we get mad and frustrated. Well, now we've missed the pieces and we're not really putting it together properly. That's where we feel guilty. That's where we give in. That's where we say, fine, have a bedtime snack. I don't want you to go to bed hungry. And we're right back where we started. So that's where parents really need a clear step-by-step -step plan. They need somebody to piece this all together. It's not intuitive, like we said. We need support for questions, for scenarios, for things that come up, and we need accountability so we stay on task. And that's exactly what I get to help parents with, which is why we have such great transformations inside um, our program, the Parenting with Purpose Method. 
I could completely see that. You had uh, talked about uh, the controversy around your idea that reward charts are maybe not the best way. Maybe elaborate a little bit on that because I'm sure a lot of parents out there that are using reward charts are kind of wanting that loop to close. Yeah, exactly. Because we think like, okay, let's use it a reward chart. Our child's going to be motivated. They're going to want that sticker at the end of the week. They're going to want that ice cream. They're going to browse at their reward chart and it's going to help motivate them. Really what happens is a few things. We teach our kids to only do things when they externally have an extrinsic driver motivator. So when you get X, then great, I will go ahead and do the, do the Y. I, I need to know that I'm getting something in order to do it. That motivator, that sticker is going to wear off. That novelty will become, you know, wear, wear, worn thin and they're going to want a bigger reward or they're going to flat out say to you, I don't care about the sticker. And then what? Now, how do we get them to brush their teeth and get their jammies on if they don't care about the reward? We need them to care intrinsically. We need them to want to do the things that they want to do. And so what I really encourage parents to do is avoid the sticker charts. If your, kid, if your kids really enjoy checking something off because you have a bedtime chart and they want to say, yeah, I've got my jammies on. Yeah, I've brushed my teeth. And they want to be the CEO of their bed chart. Great. Let them do that. That's their, that's their way of keeping track and organizing. Fantastic. It's not you saying you did a good job, quote unquote, again, labeling and praising. It's really teaching the process of the things they need to do. So instead of rewards, I like parents to really switch their language to when then. So a lot of times we'll say, well, if you don't get your jammies on, no books. If you're not ready for bed, then I'm not tucking you in. If you don't do this, then I'm taking this away. No longer are we using the two letter word if. The word if is like a giant push to open the doors to a power struggle. So avoid reward charts, avoid if, switch the word if to when. When your bedtime routine is done, then we will start your stories. Set a timer. That bedtime chart needs to be done in 15 minutes because that's when stories start. If we're late, well, then that's your choice. You lollygags, maybe they chose to miss the stories. So this is where we're putting everything back on our kids based on the way we set it up, based on the tools we use, based on the language we use. So when we choose to use when, then, when you do, you know, when you finish your homework, then you may play your video games. When you clean up, then we can pop the popcorn for the movie. The idea is that the when is the things that need to be done. So as parents, we set the stage in a way that's going to work for us. When the things that need to be done are done, then they have something that motivates them to do it. So a lot of times parents will say, well, then is that bribery? No, that's not bribery. You're not saying if you don't get this, you don't get this. You're saying you get to choose. You can do this and have that choice, just like we go to work. You can choose to go to work and make money so that you can vacation and buy things, or you can choose not to go to work and not have the things. It's really life lessons taught to them in a smaller scale. Yeah. So one quick tip to loop back to golden time, when you read your kids' stories at night and you tuck them in at night, label it. It's golden time. When you're ready for bed, then we start your golden time. Ah, they're so excited. They can't wait to do it. And you're doing tuck in anyway. Why not get more bang for your buck? 
So get that second golden time in by labeling it. Um, the reason books are so important are so the, the reasons are so vast, but one, we as parents don't often have age appropriate language. We often don't know how to teach our kids the right way to how to communicate to them in a way that's going to be accessible for them, how they're going to understand in the best way. And children's books are an amazing resource for parents to use age appropriate language to teach in an age appropriate way. So for example, if you're potty training and your, your kids are, you know, learning, getting ready to start potty training proactively, get ready, start reading those books while they're potty training. When you read stories, you're talking about what's important to them, the things they're working on, the developmental milestones they're trying to grasp. You're using age-appropriate language. You're showing them that other kids are going through this too. You're not alone. You're not the only one who's lost a pet. You're not the only one who potty trains. You're not the only one whose mommy or daddy don't live in the same house. It's a way for them to feel less alone, to feel seen, heard, and understood, and for you guys to bond and connect and to learn to open up lines of communication. Children's books with a child and learning to talk and communicate becomes your line of communication with my 13-year-old and my 11-year-old who are now managing, you know, 13-year-olds managing social media and managing girls now and managing through puberty. And these are things that we need to start those foundations in that relationship and children's books can help you do that. Love it. And you already started talking about puberty and, um, you know, screen time. And so your, your boys are, I think, in grade eight and grade six now. Yep. So grade eight and grade six. Yep. So how has that changed then for you with um, your uh, skill sets, your tools and um, tips and tricks? And like, how has that changed your parenting? Um, I guess, how has that changed what you're doing then with your boys as, as they've gotten older? That is like the most fabulous question, because the beauty is you won and done this. You literally go through the program, you learn the skills, you set yourself up for success, and now you rinse and repeat. I have not changed anything about my systems, about my routines, how I get my boys to be more independent, how I give them more responsibilities, how I teach, train, and practice. I, I worked really hard when they were young, and as they grow, it's all set. It's all there. I don't have to enforce consequences all the time. I don't need to have big conversations because they're not listening and they're not doing the things they we have a rhythm they are a mutual respect um part of this relationship from from me to them and them to me and everybody lives in this household in that way so once you do it you get to like kind of wash your hands and just enjoy your kids doesn't mean i don't have conversations with them does it mean that i don't still do golden time no absolutely i do golden time i have conversations i work with them on you know treating your brother in a way that you know you want to be treated and we always have to do those things but I don't have boys that beat up each other. I don't have boys that fight all the time. I have boys who listen, who get great grades, who, you know, the teachers come to me and say they're fantastic, not because they're special unicorns, not because I'm magical, because I had the skill set to piece it together. So I tell parents, do the work now. You will thank yourselves because the relationship you can have ongoing is phenomenal. You, you talked about a rhythm in your household. And for a lot of parents, kind of change the rhythm uh, with a lot of the kids staying at home and how have you seen that impact parents what advice would you give to kind of maybe come back as things have opened up now and you know do you see it as maybe potentially a lost two years in development of a lot of kids and yeah it is unfortunate that our kids had to live through this that we had to live through this but here's the thing we're dealt cards and we either can choose to move forward with it in the most positive way or we can dwell on it 
And so, yes, our kids missed a couple of years. They missed on sports. They might have excelled in a sport that they might not excel in now because they missed this developmental time. There's, but we have do not have control of that. What we have control of is what we do now, how we really help our kids bounce back from that, how we bounce back from that. So in order to help our kids bounce back, we as adults need to bounce back. We need to say it happened. It is what it is. How can I best support my kids? How can I best support my families? That might mean for you as a parent, more self-care, getting up early, exercising before you spend your day with your kids so you're less resentful, making sure that you take care of yourself, um, and then really looking at what each child needs. Did one of your kids start to develop some anxiety with social settings now? How can we ease them back into that? How can we um, help our kids get back into the homework rhythm if they really got out of it? If they're behind, how can we support them ourselves or with a tutor? What, what does your child need? A lot of times parents don't really know what our kids need because we actually don't know what the problem is. And we're just battling it out and arguing and power struggling that we actually can't see through the thick cloud. What does my child need? So the idea is to check off all your boxes, get to a place where you really understand why behaviors are happening. Then you can clearly see what your child needs and now you can support and guide. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, Tia, I got one, one last question here. Um, screen time, social media, Fortnite, the metaverse, these are all kind of concerns that, you know, I work in social media. I grew up loving video games. I, I remember the very first Atari to Nintendo. I remember a lot of hours that I spent there. I, it's, it's a concern that I have and, I, and a lot of parents have is, is how do you control that screen time? How do you let these children still grow up in the world that they're growing up in while not losing that that affinity towards going outside and playing and getting fresh air. Um, what are your thoughts for parents that might be struggling with screen time and video games in general? Yeah, so we've got to ask ourselves, do we have boundaries set up in advance? Do our kids know what our boundaries are, when they can play, what needs to be done before they can play, how long they can play, what happens if they when they don't get off when you've talked about what time they need to get off, when the timer goes off and they refuse to get off. These are all skills that we need to implement. But most importantly, what's important to you and your family? And it doesn't really matter what everybody else is doing. So many clients will say, well, how much is too much or how much is you know too many video games? You get to decide that. I'm not the master of what goes on in your house. Um, for me, I have some boundaries. Fortnite was not one that I was going to allow my boys to play. Too many studies, too many things, too many people I've worked with that have, you know, negativity that comes around that. Do they have a video game, um, you know, deck or whatever you want to call it? I don't even know because I don't play it. But yes, they do. Do they? Does my 13-year-old now have some Instagram and social media? Yes, but we have boundaries. So for my 13-year-old, random phone checks. You know when you have a phone and you are texting and you are on the internet and you have social media, that at any point in time, I can say, can you please pass me your phone? I'm going to do a safety check. If you're in bed at night, it's plugged in downstairs. It's not in your room. And I can safety check. Having that open conversation. It's not about you know spying on them. It's about helping them know that they need to learn how to navigate these things and they do need our guidance. For video games, if your kids are on it all the time, and you're in the gray area. Sometimes you let them, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you get mad at them because they're not getting off. Sometimes you yell, sometimes you ground them, sometimes you take it away. What's the boundary? So is the boundary that when your homework is done every day, you can play for 30 minutes, when the timer goes off, the video game goes off, or you're telling me that tomorrow you'd like to miss out on that opportunity. Again, you choose your choice, I'm happy either way. Now your kids are gonna start to understand what's how they can be responsible what their boundaries are how they can manage that we can't let our kids just play 
all day long because then that's what they're going to do and that's not going to be healthy and that's going to frustrate everybody. So we need to, it all goes back to that core, shifting your parenting, learning the skills to shift your child's behavior, boundaries around screen time, around outside play, around cleaning up, around meal times, around homework. It's all the same thing, shoeboxed into one set of skills that then solve all your problems. Yeah, I don't know a single parent that wouldn't benefit from some one-on-one time with you, checking out your courses, going through your 12-week program. Uh, for those people that like to learn a little bit more um, about you, what's the best way that they can get in touch with you? Yeah, so definitely my website, tslightum.com. You can check everything out there. You can even book a free strategy call with me. We can talk about your challenges, where you're feeling stuck, figure out what the best next step is going to be to ensure you get the results that you're hoping for. Um, Instagram, I'm very active there. I'm live twice a week. You can catch me. I teach on Mondays uh, live um, called my Monday Lives where it's a, a free teaching at 10 a.m. Eastern. Thursdays, 1 p.m. Eastern, I do a live AMA. That means ask me anything. Come and ask me your parenting questions and I will answer them. Um, and so join me on Instagram at Tia Parenting Coach, T-I-A Parenting Coach. Um, I'm also on TikTok. I'm also, you know, on Facebook, but I would say Instagram and my website, and you're going to definitely be able to connect and really gather tons of trainings and information, even for free before you decide if it's a, a good next step for you. Wealth of information. Um, thank you. Thank you for your time. And, uh, yeah, this was, this was very rewarding. I think every parent that uh, listened to this, uh, 45 minutes with you has definitely learned more than just a few things. So Tia, thank you so much. And all the information will be in the show links for the, the listeners, uh, to, to reach out and find you. Awesome. Tia, thank, thank you, you so for much. Having me. You're welcome.